This week, my guest is going to tell you the systems and procedures you have to put into place if you want to hit six figures as a web designer. Are you ready? Let's go. What is up, self-maders? Welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Web Designer Podcast. This week, we've got a fan favorite guest back again. His name is Josh Hall. And last week, Josh talked about what it takes to quickly get to six figures as a web designer. And he is following it up with another episode. And this week, he is going to talk all about the systems and processes that you need to have in order to make sure that you become a six-figure web designer as well. So we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. We're going to go super practical. Josh is going to talk about his process going from step A to step B on to the finish line. It's going to be a good one, folks. And hey, if you haven't already, I want to encourage you to subscribe now to the Self-Made Web Designer Podcast wherever you're listening or watching. And you've got options folks, whether you're listening in Apple Podcast or Spotify or YouTube or Amazon Podcast, Google, heck, even Stitcher, if that's even still available, whatever it is, I'm glad that you're listening and make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and you can get the fast track to becoming a self-made web designer as well. All right. Are you ready to hear from Josh on how to become a six-figure web designer by having good systems and procedures in place. All right, let's do it. Well, Josh, thanks for being on again. Round round two for this little short two-part episode, but round three total. So thanks so much for being on the Self-Made Web Designer Podcast. Always a pleasure, Chris. I'm excited to, to talk shop and share some experience with a little more in-depth look at scaling, man. Yeah. So last episode, we we got into kind of some bigger picture ideas of how to scale your web design business or web design agency to six figures. But I figured on this episode, we'd, we'd get a little bit more into the weeds and into the nuts and bolts of things, so to speak. So um, so talk a little bit about the importance of having processes and systems in your business and maybe a little bit of, about what that's looked like for you. Well, I will say when I scaled to six figures, even as a solopreneur, which I, I scaled to six figures essentially as a solopreneur and kept at that range until I started to, to scale a small team and then it was multi, you know, multiple six figures, the trick really was, though, to have a system and a process that I stuck to. And this is really important in web design because the the enemy of profitability in web design is web designers just not having a process and getting way too custom with every project and going like way too far with little tinkering around with CSS or whatnot. And then you end up making like a dollar an hour for website builds. That's the thing you want to avoid. And really, the key to avoiding all of that is to have a refined system and process in place. And some tips and some things that have helped me and helped, as, again, as a solopreneur and my team, especially when I started scaling a team, was to have the actual website build and development process laid out. Made, make sure it was very clear. That way, there was no ambiguity with kind of flying by the seat of my pants for every build. So for me, I refined kind of a five-phase, 50-step process eventually. I actually have a course on this if anybody is interested. It's my web design process course, which is literally my five-phase and 50-step process. But essentially, what I did was just documented all the steps that I was doing for, for the majority of my projects. 
And then that became my SOP, my standard operating procedure. That way, I knew what to follow. I made sure I didn't miss anything when I was building the sites out and refining my processes. And then eventually, when I scaled with a team, they had that checklist to follow and they didn't need to ask like, okay, what do I do at, at this stage of the process? So really, step one with refining those systems and processes was, was the actual build and development process. The main thing is... You, you can't just work, 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 find new clients, work, 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 work. You've got to stop and just kind of think about, okay, what am I doing? And is this something that is repeatable? And if it's repeatable, can I put it into a little system or a process that I can it, refine over time? And so making sure that after every project or even every phase of the projects that you're working through, you're taking a second and just sitting back and going, okay, what was what worked about that project and what didn't? What could I have done differently? What are some things that took us longer to accomplish than what normally would take to accomplish? And, and how can we change that? But I think a lot of people don't even stop just, just to ask those questions of like, okay, what am I doing correctly? And what could I refine a little bit here in, in the midst of all this? Yeah, you you have to look at what you're doing and look at what is working well, what's not working so well. And your SOP for your process is always going to be refined. It's it's likely always going to, you know, tweak and it's always going to shift a little bit as as the industry changes, as you add things. So, but the trick is to have your process in place as you get going. And then one thing I would say too, is having a process in place for all of your builds will help with billing too, and meeting deadlines, because you can, you can basically put your deadlines for a project to each one of the phases of your project, which my five phases are basically planning and preparing the site, and then the initial design, and then the build out, and then the revisions and the feedback period, and then the launch. Those are the five kind of main aspects. So each one of those, you can basically give a timetable to help get the project out the door to help stay more profitable. So phase one might be one week, phase two might be two weeks, phase three might be another week. And then you know if you kind of put all that together, then you've got a project that's scheduled for like 45 days. And then you've got a deadline to hit. And that will help your clients too. But that that's key. You, you are not going to effectively get to six figures if you do not have a system and process in place for that. Let's just dive into the, the phases that you found work well for you. And, and I should probably add that this is, and I'm sure you probably speak to this, is that this is probably a good starting point. Everybody's going to be a little bit different in how they operate and work through things and you might tweak. And it, I know for myself, that's true of even the process that I was using four or five months ago is different than the process that I use today. So you mentioned the planning and preparation. What what does that look like for you? And how would somebody go about doing that in their, in their designs and their builds? Yeah. For, so if we're just focusing on web design, the, the, the really big thing is just to have a good idea of the scope of the project. So you know the rough amount of pages, you know what type of content is going to be on the front page. This is also often the content collection period where you can't really start building the site until you have the content, which of course is a whole nother topic. I know you've talked, you know, you've covered some of that, Chris, with your podcast content collection side of things. So it really is just planning the the actual site as a whole. It's it's this is the wireframe. Well, you could technically get to the design and the wireframe in phase two here, but you got to start with just the the nuts and bolts of what's included in the project, and then also. The strategy. This is where strategy is a huge part of planning a website. What is the goal? Like, what is the goal of the website user, and what's the type of journey that their customers should go on that's going to help them 
you know, basically get a return of investment out of the site because that's going to determine what pages you put your most effort into, what type of conversions you're going to have, what type of graphics you're eventually going to create. That's that's really what it's all about. So that's kind of I know you know we're going to try to go fairly quickly through this. So that's the first phase. The next phase would be the actual design. Once you have a good understanding of all that, this is where you'll do an initial design, either a wireframe or I often did the homepage of a site that was actually built out live. That way, clients could actually get a really good feel for what the design was going to look like. And then we would tweak it from there. And then the worst thing you can do for any web designer is to build an entire site out and then get feedback on it. So my recommendation is always to just do like the homepage and maybe one main services page or one type of page and, and then you start getting feedback. If you're thinking about a user journey, if you're thinking about um, who it is that's actually visiting the site and how to speak to them specifically when you're building out a website, you have outpaced 75 to 85% of all web designers who are freelancing or have an agency out there because most folks just do not think about that strategy of saying, and if you can communicate that well to a client, you're going to have people lining up. (laughs) I feel like, like that that's for myself has been the key factor between somebody who has said, man, I had this one guy and he just, he just put stuff in a template and I don't need, like, I need somebody to help me know. Most web designers and most agencies generally will just go right into a design and they haven't even talked about strategy. No matter what project it is, it starts with planning and it starts with strategy. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have this massive brief and this huge questionnaire for strategy and conversion, but you got to at least get the basics. You want to know who their customer is. What is the goal of the website? Is it to schedule a consultation? Is it to fill out this contact form? Is it to get a quote? Is it to call? Finding that out initially with planning will be huge. And then when it comes to building the rest of the site out and refining your processes, it makes things a lot easier. So that kind of leads into you know, the first, it's planning. And then it goes into design. Once the design is approved, then it's the build. Then it's the build time. This is where you might have a couple weeks or three weeks where you are building. This is what most web designers are doing. They're implementing all the plugins, the features. And then once you get through that, then it's revision time. Then it's time to go back and forth with a client, not from the get-go. You don't want to start having your client pick through mobile responsive stuff when you're just starting to build the site. So um, that's kind of the, the next you know, part of, of the phase in, in your, your system, your SOP. And then it's launching and, and like empowering the client, which goes from you know actually literally launching the website and then again and kind of empowering your client. Right, absolutely. You know, you can't just build websites all day. You've actually got to find clients to build those websites for. So, <laughs> I wonder before <laughs> we before we move on to that, I wonder if we could just chat a little bit about the revisions process and and what you found mm-hmm. to to streamline it because I know that that can be a an Achilles heel when it comes to finishing a website in a reasonable amount of time. Um, so yeah. what does the revision process look like for you and what kind of systems do you have in place to keep it from going crazy? Well, you said it there, reasonable amount of time. So that is a relative term unless you have a deadline for revisions and feedback. This is like, I can't believe it took me so long to figure this out. And I don't remember because I had never gone through an official course or a training when I started my business. I just kind of, again, fumbled my way through this and found this out. But when I put a deadline on revisions, that was a game changer for getting projects done, which eventually helped me to get to six figures. So you have to tell your clients, here's our window for revisions and feedback. 
And it's a simple, you could take this as complex as you want, or you could make this as simple as you want, but just say, okay, we've got like two weeks for revisions in feedback. And of course, this will depend on the type of project it is, the complexity of the website and the phases. So you may, you may have like phase one of revisions of feedback for the homepage design. And then you may have the revisions and feedback for content through all the pages. And then you may have revisions and feedback for the site as a whole, like responsive design and stuff. But however you work that out, you have to give those deadlines. That's really the, the biggest tip I can give is to tell your clients, okay, here's our deadlines. Because if you send a website over for review and then just say, looking forward to hearing your feedback, good luck. Like, When are they going to get back to you? How are they going to get back to you? They don't know what type of feedback to, to give. So that, w- that was key for me. The other thing I'll say that really helped me with um, kind of limiting the amount of revisions and feedback I got was to send a personal video overviewing the design and explaining why you designed this the way you did. That was another big game changer for me because as soon as I started sending a little video that was still generally under 10 minutes, ideally, sometimes they were a little more depending on the size of the project. But it was like me sitting down with the client and showing them the design and saying, okay, here is why we have this design here. This is, you know, this is why we do this this way. It helped the client understand why the design was built like that. It helped them understand that, you know, I'm the pro here. I you, you should, you know, ideally listen to I'm going to listen to you as the client to implement what you want, but best practices need to kind of trump all all of the client desires if they're not great and you get a chance to explain why. That helped my revisions and feedback process tremendously. Deadlines in a personal video. Yeah, I love that. And it, you know, it, to me it sounds like you've got you're setting the rules of play, right? So you're you're setting the boundaries with which a client can ask for feedback, how they're asking for feedback. Um, I remember some of the early projects I did, all of my feedback came through an email chain, which was just a yeah. nightmare, um, you know, because you get an email chain of 700 replies long, and then good luck finding that one thing the client asked you to do three weeks ago. Um, and then they yeah. get mad at you, and then it looks like you're missing things, but really you've just got all this information floating around that you're just trying to wrangle in. So setting the rules of play, and then also thinking critically and explaining critically behind your decisions to give them what they have. And for me, that's been the same thing. Just saying like, okay, here's what I designed and here's, here's why. And you know, then I, I find that clients are like, oh wow, that makes a lot of sense. But if you just hope that they figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I realized this practically because before that method, I just sent the website over and said, let me know what you think, which opened up every terrible can of worms you can imagine that we just talked about. But what I found was the few times that I was like sitting with a client or the client wanted to do a call and I guided them through the design, suddenly they were like, oh, okay. Like I had a different idea in mind, but that makes sense. Or, Or it was even like, can we like meet in the middle? Can we take what you did here and just add these elements? I'm like, yeah, we can do that. So once I realized that, I was like, I'm just gonna send a little screen recording of me talking through the design, just like I would if I was sitting with them. You don't have to even be on camera if you don't want to. Just do a screen recording. Uh, that was a game changer, man. Absolute yeah. game changer for, for the process side of things. Let's let's talk about probably the other important part of creating a six-figure agency is the process of finding clients, um, you know, onboarding clients, retaining clients, 
Um, because like we said before, you can't just build websites. You actually have to go and find people that need them and then, you know, convince them that you're the perfect person for their job. So what did that process look like for you? I, I think it is really, really important to hone in on the onboarding side of things, particularly for scaling, because it was, a, it was really tricky for me to get to six figures with the previous onboarding sequence I had set up, which was no onboarding sequence. There was no strategy <laughs> for onboarding, which is really common. Like I, I don't want to sound judgmental for anybody who is early in the game and you just you don't really have a strategy for onboarding because a lot of people just want to get clients and want to get leads and want to get traffic. And I understand that. But the real question is, how are you going to guide them through this experience that should be a web design experience? And this is key. Key, key, key for getting the six figures because you have got to... Once you have your build and your process for actually designing sites, you now have to have a process for your onboarding and your project management and your offboarding. Those are really the kind of the big three. The onboarding, once you kind of... Well, I guess funneling is technically before onboarding. So let's go with four, shall we? Funneling your leads, get get the good clients, onboarding them, project management, and then offboarding. So um, I guess before we get to onboarding, I think there's a really important distinction for for funneling that we should make, which is you're generally going to get two types of clients. You're going to get qualified leads and you're going to get questionable leads. Um, The last episode, we talked a little bit about value-based pricing and packaging your services and stuff like that. But maybe this would have been a better topic for for that, uh, that episode. But the question is, okay, well... How do I like funnel these really good leads between these leads who are eh, maybe not so good? These are the price hunters. These are the tire kickers who have 500 bucks and that's it. The way I did it was I had a funneling system in place, which is pretty simple. It was I had a um, essentially a potential client page that I would send all of my questionable leads to, which had my price ranges, the the starting at. You always want to go starting at. So if I had leads come through and I felt like this project, like this this client could be a really good project, really good lead, I'm not going to send them to my potential client page because they may be down with a $10,000 project right from the get-go. I want to go right into the proposal. So that's what I would do. That's the previous episode I talked about how I got my first $15,000 client. That's what I did with them. They did not go through my funnel to my potential client page. But if I did get a referral and I was like, okay, they're questionable, I send them this page, gives them a little bit of information about our, you know, the agency, the type of projects we do, and our price ranges. And if that looks good, then they move forward. And then once they go through that initial funnel, and then we realize, okay, they're down with our price ranges. Now we can move forward to the proposal. So that was key. That initial funneling of questionable versus qualified, that's huge. And then once they move forward with proposal, then we can get into the the onboarding side of things. We'll talk a little bit about that. So how did you... Would somebody just email you and you would just kind of tell through some of the questions that they're asking or how they would talk to you. Then you would say, hey, yeah. you're a questionable lead, go to this page. But you're, <laughs> you're, you're a qualified lead, then... I mean, obviously you wouldn't tell them that. You're a qualified yeah, yeah, right, lead. Right. So, so let's set up a phone call. Like, What did that look like? And how did you know the difference between the two? Yeah, great question. You, you pretty much just hit the nail on the head there. It was... Either, I mean, most everyone went through my contact form unless it was a lead from or referral from an existing client, which you're always going to get leads in different places. And this is where you just, you have to trust your gut and you have to use your best judgment. And this will get better and better over time as you work with more people. Just remember, 
you're never going to work with the, uh, the ideal clients right from the get-go. You are going to have good experiences and bad experiences. And that's okay. That's a part of the journey. But you just have to use all those bad experiences to, to kind of re- remember those. It's muscle memory for when you start funneling out your clients. So I got to the point where I could tell with a contact form submission, generally by the second line, if they were qualified or questionable. If it was like, hey, I'm you know looking around at some web designers and I don't have much of a budget, but I wanted to see if, if you would be able to take on this project, that's questionable. Whereas if it was somebody who was like, hey, Josh, I was referred to you by a previous client, really like what they did there with their website. Uh, I feel like you might be a good fit for our business. We're looking for you know a long-term web design partner in this. We'd be interested in speaking more. That's a qualified lead. I can tell right there by how they just talk to me, they're qualified. So... Um, yeah, it was more best judgment. There was no like exact prerequisite for if they were getting a potential client page or if I would set up a call. It was more best judgment. Um, but even if you set up a call and you realize they're questionable, just you don't have to be like, okay, I gotta go, bye. But just <laughs> let them know like you have a half an hour and that's it. Or you know, maybe it is a twenty minute discovery call or something pretty quick. That you know, maybe you're like maybe the you're confused. You're like, oh, or maybe you're unsure if this client is good or bad. And that's where you can either send them to that potential client page or do a little quick discovery call, which is like 20 minutes in your calendar. It forces that call to go fairly quick. And then if they're actually like a pretty good lead, say like, okay, like you know what, let's extend this call. I'm fine for 45 minutes or let's set up an additional call. Uh, that's where you could kind of funnel from there. That, at least that those were the practical um, methods that I had in place to kind of help me funnel. I wonder if we could maybe, um, as we're wrapping up, just talk a little bit. You mentioned onboarding. Um, what, did, what did onboarding look like for you when you started dialing in your process? Yeah. And there, I should say too, there is a step before that, which is the proposal, um, sure. which is like, you don't want to take a whole ton of a time, a whole ton of time on proposals if they're not going to move forward. So you definitely want to streamline your proposal process, which does feed into onboarding. Um, because what I did mistakenly for so many years was to do PDF proposals. And then the client had to tell me like, okay, I'd, I'd like to get started. Then I had to bill, then I had to, you know, move forward with everything manually. And it was, I mean, talk about killing myself from a <laughs> profitability standpoint, that was it. Like you want to refine your proposals and and onboarding processes. So um, for me, I used a software called 17 Hats, which worked in conjunction with proposals and onboarding. And the way I worked that out was instead of having to manually send an invoice and manually send a payment link and manually sending a contract, I was able to create a workflow in 17 Hats that handle all that for me. I basically mm. created a templatized workflow. And, and a lot of softwares will do this now where you send the proposal and then they have a little button that says, I accept. That kicks them over to the contract. Then they go to the invoice, they pay. And then after the invoice, then it goes to either a getting started page or an email sequence that actually gets gets them started on the project. And from there, you can refine your onboarding, which depending on the scope of the project, for me, I always had a getting started page that once somebody paid, they then went over to my getting started page, which just overviewed our process and what to expect. And then I would manually follow up with them with getting them linked up in our project management system, which was Basecamp. Although you can use Asana, numerous different project management softwares. And then that's where we would kind of 
go a little more custom as far as getting our project our project going. And you can still automate a lot of those onboarding sequences, even once you actually get moving forward on a project. But it's a little tricky in web design because again, every web design project is a little bit different. So you might have different levels of, uh, of an onboarding sequence, depending on the type of project you're doing. Well, Josh, thank you so much for, for being on episode number two. I, I feel like we could just keep talking about all this stuff because you've just got such great insights. So thank you so much, man. <laughs> I know. I feel like we just got started. This is why my podcasts go like an hour and a half because uh, we, I feel like we're just getting going now, man. But hopefully this was at least a, a good, you know, um, kind of a, a look into what helped me practically get to six figures, which was refining all those processes, which are really, really important. And obviously, if you are more interested in understanding Josh's process, he does have a course that is perfect for you. So um, if somebody's interested in finding that, where would they go and how else would they connect with you online? Yeah, so you can go to my website at joshhall.co. Two resources that might be really helpful for folks. One is I have a... Um, basically a 10-step proven guide for scaling your business. You can get that at joshhall.co slash scale. You can get that for free. And then uh, I do have my web design process course, but if you would like just the the overview of that process as a whole, I actually have a free podcast, episode 72. So you can go to joshhall.co slash 072. And that's just a, a peek inside of my web design process in a little more detail. And then of course, my my course on that is available if anyone is interested in refining that. And that is your SOP. You can literally take my standard operating procedure that I had and you could boom, upload it into your business, have you and your team follow it. You don't need to recreate the wheel if you don't want to. Well, thanks so much again, Josh. And of course, since we ran out of time on every episode, we're just going to have to keep having you come back and and chat again sometime in the future. (laughs) Always down. Always down for it, Chris. Thanks for having me on, man. The difference between a good web designer and a great web designer has much less to do with skill or know-how and much more to do with the systems that they have in place. And listen, if I'm honest, I'm going to get real with you. Okay. Systems is something that I continually struggle with. I'm the creative shoot from the hip kind of guy. So trying to get me to follow an outline plan on anything is like trying to herd cats. Is that just an expression from my Texas upbringing? Hopefully you understand what I'm trying to talk about. But despite how hard it is for me to stay on track with systems and procedures, I still stick with it because I know how important it is. So I want to encourage you to try and adopt some type of procedures or system in your web design workflow. No matter what level you are at, no matter what stage of freelancing or web designing that you are in. And it it doesn't have to be detailed like Josh's is. You know, you could start with a few small steps. And when you get those down, add a few more. Do that enough and you're going to have a full-blown SOP or standard operating procedure before you know it. Hey, it's been awesome chatting with you this week and next week we're back at it again. We don't stop, not even for the holidays. It's going to be a good one, folks. So make sure that you don't miss the next episode coming out Wednesday night at midnight. Until then, keep working hard and don't forget if you don't quit, you win.